Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Welcome to the penultimate episode of season two of The Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. This is the Harry Potter podcast where we are reading the series backwards. So maybe you've listened to podcasts where they're reading it forward in order. We decided to flip it up just like in The Glittering Bell Jar. We were reading backward and we are almost done with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which is a little bit sad because it is our favorite book and we've really enjoyed doing daily episodes for you as we've been releasing this. But Every good book comes to an end, no matter which direction you read it. So here we are. Episode 29, we're reading chapter two. I am your host, Valerie, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bree. And as usual, we like to start out with a little chit-chat. So how are you doing, Bree? Hi, Valerie. I am good. I am a little sad. Chapter two. That's that's wild. That is wild. Uh, it's been fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. It has been fun. This has been a very different format. I remember when I messaged you, I don't know if it was the end of April or early May of 2022, and I was like, I have a new idea for how we could do season two. And so we've tried it, and it's been pretty fun. It's been fun to do them as single, like, one-shots. We certainly do a lot more calls to action, like uh, follow us and subscribe, and because, you know... In season one, if you haven't listened, we were doing a couple chapters per episode and they were longer. And so we only would say that right at the end, but this time we say it every single time. So at the end of this episode, you'll hear, as usual, we'll remind you all the little housekeeping things we need you to do. But it's been good to do them as daily episodes, recording and releasing, and then to have them available so people can move through the book a little bit differently than they did the first time. Yeah, I really dig this format. Uh, And if you guys liked it, we would love to hear from you. That way we know, should we do next season at all for one and then for two should we do it like this uh that will be a lot of them because that book is huge but that's okay i would enjoy it so let us know Mm -hmm. yeah we have to figure out a format uh, a daily format that makes sense actually so if you are not listening in like real time as we're releasing them june has 30 days and this book has 30 chapters and it just seemed perfect perfect timing to be releasing this season and then i don't even know if it's like 47 chapters or however many chapters there are in order of the phoenix yeah a lot we may not be doing them every day (laughs) yeah i'm looking now i'm looking on the wiki let's see 38 yeah there are no months with 38 days so it's not going to be quite as uh well arranged as it was this time no no it will not (laughs) that's okay Yeah. But in any case, let's just jump right into it because this is a very different chapter than we've covered in the past. Uh, As a reminder, if you're joining us for the very first time, please go back and start at the beginning of the season. This is not the kind of podcast, actually, I'd love to hear someone do it because it wouldn't make a darn bit of sense, or maybe it would, who starts at episode 30 and then goes, you know, in the order of the book, like you unwind our glittering bell jar for us. But (laughs) we recommend starting with episode one because we have a tendency to refer to our own past episodes, as many podcasts do that have a serial style like this. Additionally, in each episode, Brie will give a synopsis of the chapter. In this case, it's chapter two. And then I will read the last sentence of the chapter, since that's what we do as we're reading the book backward chapter by chapter. And then we'll discuss, and you can always join the conversation at Beljar Pod on social media if you hear something you want to chat about. So are you ready, Brie? I'm ready. Let's do it. Chapter two, Spinner's End, 
The chapter begins with Bellatrix chasing after Narcissa, insisting that she stopped what she is doing. Narcissa goes as far as to throw a curse Bellatrix's way when she won't stop. She is heading to Snape, where she begs him to help Draco with a task that the Dark Lord has given him to kill Dumbledore. Bellatrix is unsure of Snape and gives off a list of reasons why Snape should not be trusted. Despite all of this, in the end, he makes the unbreakable vow that he will protect Draco at all cost, including killing Dumbledore if Draco himself cannot do it. Good synopsis. And the last sentence of this chapter reads, Bellatrix's astounded face glowed red in the blaze of a third tongue of flame, which shot from the wand, twisted with the others, and bound itself thickly around their clasped hands like a rope, like a fiery snake. Mm. Yeah, this is obviously a very different chapter than what we've covered in the past, at the entire rest of the season, basically, because we are not with Harry Potter. We are focused more on Snape, which we've certainly had chapters where we've talked about Snape a lot, but this is a very intimate Snape chapter. We actually go to the Half-Blood Prince's house, even mm-hmm. though we don't know he's the Half-Blood Prince till the end, obviously. Right. <laughs> and we get to see both Bellatrix and Narcissa in their relationship and how these different characters within the Dark Lord's world all interact with one another. Yeah, you know, I could not find a way to do it proper justice, but this chapter, the way it begins, uh, the way that it is described, you know, you don't actually know that it's Narcissa and Bellatrix at first, you know, there's literally just a fox and a, you know, a really stinky stream, like it is a a dirty stream. And it's a very beautiful chapter. I actually love the way that this um, book begins. It's a very, very cool way uh, to begin and set this the stage for this this whole world that's about to happen. So I, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it immensely. So you should go read it. Yeah. What's interesting is actually, I remember before this book came out, JK Rowling still had her personal website that she was using where she would tease information. I don't know if you ever went to that website, but it was really cool. It was like, when you landed on the homepage, it had like her desk on it and elements of that were clickable and then it would reveal information and she could drop teasers and things like that. And this was one of the two chapter titles that she released in advance of the book coming out. The other one, I think there were three chapter titles. I only remember two of them. This one, Spinner's End was one of them. And Draco's Detour, which would have been episode 25, that was another one of them. There was a third one further, maybe Felix Felicis. I think that was it because it didn't make any sense. In any case, now when I read this chapter, I think there must have been something special that she had in this chapter as well that she wanted to tease people with, that there was this whole other part of the magical world or the muggle world. And what's interesting is we now know a couple things. We know Snape still lives here, which is sort of interesting. And Bellatrix observes that being like, why does he live here? He could not, he could live anywhere. And Lily and Petunia and their family lived in this area when they were young, because this is the Snape family home. Snape has kept the family home and stayed in it in this rather rundown, dirty, you know, industrial area. And that is where he met Lily. And maybe that's why. Maybe that's why he stays, because that's where his memory is of her. So I actually was curious, and I was going to ask you if you think that he normally lives there, because in the description, it says that it kind of looks unlived, like it's kind of dusty, like everything doesn't really look like it's been used. And I almost wonder if he has another hideout that he does live in. And it's just whenever Wormtail is basically sent to him to essentially eavesdrop and then report to Voldemort, we can assume that maybe he goes there. Or do you think he just lives there and just doesn't really do much? 
Yeah, I don't know. It broadly brought up the question of whether the, the, the teachers live at Hogwarts in the off season, right? When the students are there, do they do they stay at the castle? Oh, right. That's what I read. Is yeah. it, It's probably uninhabited 10 months of the year and then Snape goes home. But I actually loved this description of Snape's home or his sitting room anyway, because it was so different than his classrooms. So his classroom... We have two data points on his classroom. We have the potions classroom, which is full of glass jars of like weird potions and things suspended in liquid. And then we have his defense against the dark arts classroom where he's drawn all the windows and he's put up these posters displaying all this dark magic and what it does to people. And it's kind of gruesome and horrifying. But his room here sounds more like the inner sanctum of someone who does have a depth that most people don't see. So just to read the description... The walls were completely covered in books, most of them bound in old black or brown leather, a threadbare sofa, an old armchair, a rickety table stood grouped together in a pool of dim light cast by a candle-filled lamp hung hung from a ceiling. Like, to me, that sounds like a perfect little, like, reading room. But it simultaneously is still very Snape-ish in that it's described as a dark padded cell and had an air of neglect, which is what you were talking about. But I just like that it's not like Snape has a dungeon that he lives in. He lives in a little library full of, it's like a comfortable it sounds like a comfortable space to me oh i like that that is a i that's a good conclusion and i like yeah basically going from his dark dungeons to you know he actually maybe he does have a heart where he has his little i mean i would like a library with a comfy chair mm-hmm. so a well-worn sofa mm-hmm. that was very good yeah so other than snape which i do love that it is kind of like bittersweet. His whole story is bittersweet that he still lives in his family home, probably because of Lily. But mm-hmm. other than that, Narcissa is cracking, man. She is breaking down, right? Mm-hmm. Like she is unwell. Her husband is an Azkaban. She, you know, basically thinks her son's going to die. She is snapping. So what I'm wondering is what will we find in book five? You know, I don't know how much of her we're going to see. I don't really remember, but... Is she going to be snottier or is she still just this person that really just cares about her family? Or is this a a turn of heart as this book, this book and then book seven kind of happens? And so I'm curious, was she more evil in the other books, I guess is my question. I don't know that we have any other data points from previous books. I don't know if she speaks at all before this. If she does, it's very, very limited because I can't really remember her in any meaningful, like she's like a non-speaking character up until this point. And this is the, this is the only section where it's really focusing on her. And then we, as we discussed in episode 25, the Draco's detour, then we have an interaction between her and Harry. And that culminates in the interaction between them in the Forbidden Forest at the end of Deathly Hollows. But I would say my hypothesis would be that this is the turning point for Narcissa, where she realizes, one, okay, backing it up, putting it in more context, last episode, previous episodes, we've talked about how close we are to Sirius's death. So the other thing that happens when Sirius dies is that the Death Eaters get arrested. So Lucius is now in jail. So two things are happening for Narcissa. Her husband's just been thrown in jail, and her son has been handpicked by the Dark Lord to do a a suicide mission is basically what it seems to be set out to be. And that may be finally where she realizes we are not safe. Mm -hmm. We think we're on the winning side. Even if I say she even agrees with the whole philosophy of Voldemort and what he's trying to build, but we are not safe even being on the winning side. And my family is falling apart and I can't do anything about it. I have to start changing my behavior (laughs) to try and keep my family together and keep my family safe, which is then her core alignment going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that you're right. That's all very true, which is interesting because it kind of gives an air to I love talking about women's intuition. 
So she's literally like, okay, this is, I got to keep them safe. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not sure on the right side. And Bellatrix, as much as we love to hate her and hate to love her, she was right. Snape was, she was right to mistrust Snape. In the end, she was really probably the only one that was right. I mean, other than Dumbledore, of course, because she was right. He was not on their side. Yeah, I do wonder, though, if her mistrust of Snape is not truly born out of any real evidence, but just from jealousy that the Dark Lord prefers him. Because she says, you know, he calls me his most loyal, his most most faithful. And yet, who does he sit at his right right hand side? He sits Snape. Who does he trust with the most important information, including information that Bellatrix doesn't even know he's been given, which is this mission that Draco has? Snape. So I guess I would say, I don't know that her mistrust of Snape is fully rooted in just an interest in protecting the Dark Lord. I think it's also a little bit of self-interest of, I want to be the Dark Lord's favorite and you are his favorite. And if I just plant those seeds in the Dark Lord's ear and make everyone mistrust you, then eventually I might get the spot that I most covet to be closer to the Dark Lord. Yeah, honestly, probably that. (laughs) You're probably right. (laughs) Just because she's so evil. Like, it makes the most sense. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That's not to say she doesn't love Voldemort. I mean, we know that she's deeply connected to Lord Voldemort and she wants to protect him. So it's a, it's probably both, but like... No, I think you're right. It's definitely not <laughs> yeah. self-interest. Like there's definitely yeah. a component of self-interest there. <laughs> she just wants to hate Snape. Yeah. Yeah. I did have one thing though in that conversation where they're talking about why Snape can be trusted or not, where she asks him, well, why can't you tell us the location of Grimald Place if you know it. Like, if you're so loyal to us, why don't you? And he says, I am not the secret keeper. I cannot speak the name of the place. You understand how the enchantment works, which is super interesting to me because that suggests to me that the very first question anyone would have had after Dumbledore died to Snape would have been, okay, where's the location of the headquarters? Because now he's a secret keeper. Wasn't there a magic around that? I just, yeah, it was very confusing. Um, But I thought there was a magic Everyone becomes secret keeper. It disseminates. Right. So they all become secret keeper. So then Snape becomes secret keeper because he knows. Right. So as soon as Dumbledore dies, because Dumbledore is a secret keeper. Right. When Dumbledore yeah. dies, then all of them have it. So Voldemort's first question to Snape should be, "What? where is the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix? <laughs> well, I think he does tell them, remember? Because uh, the Death Eaters are literally hanging out at 12 Grimald Place. They just can't see it or whatever because of all the enchantments. Because all the other enchantments? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I didn't, I don't understand which enchantments worked and which ones didn't, but. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, oh, and I also thought they knew it because it was the house of Sirius Black and that was in Sirius's will, what his address was, which was given to Harry, but it right. doesn't really matter. The point is like, oh. that's one of the big things and he has to be like, duh, I can't tell you because it's magic. There's a magic that protects it. But then the first question should have been, okay, now you can tell us when Dumbledore's dead. Where is it? <laughs> no, you're right. It was because of the will, not because of that. I, Dear listener, if you know. Let us know. Yeah, hit us up on social media. Do you have anything else in this chapter? Yeah, you know, just one last thing. And it's it's not so complicated, but basically, at the end of the day, even if Voldemort had not tasked Draco with killing um, Dumbledore, Snape would have had to kill Dumbledore either way. So let's assume that Dumbledore does get his hand cursed still, but... Draco does not get tasked with killing Dumbledore, but he tasks Snape with it. Because Dumbledore is going to die anyway, Dumbledore would have said Snape. And it would have been maybe a little later, but he would have been like, you're still going to have to kill me because I still need you to be a spy till the very end. So either way, Snape was going to have to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
The last thing I have in this chapter is a little bit lighter. Okay. Uh, it's regarding the unbreakable vow, but it's not actually about the unbreakable vow in this chapter. It's about how there's a story at one point in the series where Fred and George are telling the story of when they almost got Ron to make an unbreakable vow. And George, I think, says something like, my left buttock has never been yes. the same after the, the scolding he got from his father when they came in and, like, caught the kids, you know, shaking hands or whatever. And yeah. I was just thinking, because in this, it explains the magic a little bit. You have to have someone be the bonder, and the bonder needs a wand. So how would Fred and George's kids have been doing an unbreakable vow? Maybe when they were 11 and Ron was only 9? Like, they're right after their first year at Hogwarts? Like... They couldn't have done it before they went to Hogwarts. So that actually, they were they were like preteens when they came up with this harebrained scheme to make Ron make an unbreakable vow. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, it probably yeah must have been right after Hogwarts, and they were like, "Ooh, how can we mess with them?" Yeah, now we have wands, and then it's like simultaneously they're not allowed to use magic at home. So I don't know. They should have done. It. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was funny when I thought there. I was like, we know of the unbreakable vow in only one other context in this series, and it's in. The Weasley twins getting into trouble, and they had to have a wand to do it, so they had to be old enough to know better. Oh my gosh. I want to know more about what they did as kids, honestly. They're lucky they made it to Hogwarts age, I think. <laughs> They're lucky they didn't get kicked out. <laughs> well, they te- technically they quit before they were about to get kicked out, but we haven't gotten there yet, so we don't know. True. <laughs> Okay, well, if that's all we have, we'll wrap it up here. As usual, we'd like to remind you to make sure you are subscribed to the Glittering Bell Jar in your favorite podcast player. That's usually really simple. The next really simple step is to give us a rating. So scroll down, scroll around, find a place where you can leave stars, leave us some stars, whatever you think we've earned. We prefer five stars, but we like all stars. I like astronomy, so any star will do. And then leave us a review if you have the time and you want to give us some extra feedback. You can also find us on social media. Beljar Pod, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Come check us out. Give us a follow. Give us a share. Send us a DM. We love to hear from you. Uh, you are also welcome to email us if you want to send a long form uh, review. So you can go to podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Send us an email. Followthebutterflies.com is a Harry Potter website that you should definitely check out. All sorts of cool stuff on there. There is gift guides and London tips so you can find all the Harry Potter stuff. There's treacle tart. I always mention treacle tart because it just always stuck out in my mind. That's just a very cool recipe. Uh, butter beer, all sorts of fun stuff. It is Valerie's website. It is her labor of love. So go give it, go give it a, a view. I promise you'll like it. If you're here, you're going to like it. Yep. We've got lots of Harry Potter stuff over there. And finally, before you turn off this episode, assuming you stuck with us, go ahead and share this podcast with someone you know who is either blonde hair or dark hair. Blonde like Narcissa or dark like Snape and Bellatrix. Sorry to all my redheaded friends, aka my Weasley peeps. We'll get you sometime soon. But Or you could share with them. If you only know Weasley peeps, go ahead and share with them as well. But share with a friend. That is super critical for us reaching new people and getting the word out there to help this podcast grow. With that, we will sign off. We will be back very soon with the final episode of season two of The Glittering Bell Jar. See you soon. See ya. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project and is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.